Mighty most deaf. It's simple mathematics. Check it out. I'll revolve around science. What are we talking about here? What's up, Duke Nation? Welcome back to Duke by the Numbers. I'm your host, Russell, a.k.a. Duke Better on Twitter. I took the weekend off since I was out of town. Obviously, the Syracuse game was tremendously enjoyable. I particularly enjoyed watching Jim Beheim leave his starters in the game with three minutes left just so they could stat stuff for his players and his kids and juice the analytics to make the game look closer than it really was. That's the sort of thing that just kind of summarizes Beheim's entire coaching career perfectly. You know, marginally clever and absurdly petty. You know, uh, obviously way less enjoyable than that was last night's performance against Clemson. Now, those of you who listened to my last episode and my discussion about the luck metric might have felt better about the game down the stretch, knowing that in theory we were due to win a close game. And sure enough, even though our luck metric is still well below the median. We leapt about 40 spots in Ken Palm's luck rankings as a result of winning that close game. So even though we did get a good result, we may still be doing even more positive results in close games going forward, or we're just cursed. That's always a possibility, <laughs> you know, but let's prefer to not think about that. Uh, the important thing to note here, of course, is that the Clemson game shouldn't have been close. Uh, Clemson is an NIT at absolute best team playing in Cameron Indoor Stadium. They're a good shooting team, one of the best in the country, a top 10 three-point shooting team, but they're bad at basically everything else. And we made them look like they should be in the NCAA tournament with our sloppy start, our indifferent play for stretches, and of course, the reoccurrence of the same problems that have plagued us all season. Now today I'm going to do more numbers than normal because there's a lot to talk about. I want to address a few causes for serious concern at the start of the episode because make no mistake, there are some red flags that not only don't seem like they're going away, but that would be hugely detrimental to our chances at winning a national title. That said, we've also seen a few very positive developments in the last couple of games that certainly make me feel better about our upside going into March. So I'll end on those. Finally, I'll address the brutal upcoming road slate because, well, the next three games include two of our last three quad one games, which means this is the most important stretch of the regular season. And we should set expectations for what Duke can realistically accomplish here. So here are our magic numbers. 4, 13, 81, 50, 1.87, and 32. I've got six magic numbers today. I'm going to try and... Get through this. Let's jump right in because there's a ton to talk about. Let's start with four. And this will be a quick one. Until last night, we'd beaten Clemson by 20 or more points in Cameron in four of our last five attempts. And we'd beaten them by 20 or more in Cameron in five of the last seven attempts until last night. Basically, we destroy Clemson at home. It's just what we do. <laughs> now, the last time in the last five games we hadn't won by 20 or more was another very close game in 2017, a game some of you may remember, the tatum Kennard grayson team. Uh, that game unfolded in a slightly different way because we started strong and led them back into it in the second half, unlike last night where we kind of just lounged around all game. Uh, there were some striking similarities in those games that we need to talk about. In 2017, we turned the ball over more than they did. In 2017, we let them grab more offensive rebounds than we did. And in 2017, they took notably more shot attempts than we did. And last night's game was, make no mistake, much worse than 2017. And not just because this Clemson team is definitely worse than that one was. This Clemson team grabbed 11 more offensive boards than us. They made 11 threes on 42% shooting from three, and they took 19 more shots than us on top of that. Make no mistake, we should have lost the game last night. 
Like, if we don't shoot 50% from three and we get a clutch running basket from Joey Baker, of all people, we are in big trouble. And in fact, on Ken Palm's win probability metric, with three minutes left, we only had a 60% chance of winning against a team like Clemson, not a tournament team, who we routinely beat by 20-plus in Cameron. That is insane that we were nearly a coin flip chance of losing with three minutes to go at home. Now, I know uh, Zion and Ryan and Eric on the postgame show on Twitter addressed the idea that teams just aren't afraid to play Duke anymore and they aren't really afraid of Cameron. I, I think they're on to something, and while that's an incredibly complicated issue that certainly uh, diverts from things like analytics and goes more into the mental side of basketball, right? Ideas like toughness, ideas like the presumption of victory, ideas like the privilege of having more talent and the looseness that comes with having nothing to lose, uh, right? all very important things to discuss along the way. I also just think there's a very simple answer. The formula to beating Duke is clear, and it has been for some time. Uh, Duke doesn't grab defensive rebounds, so crash the offensive glass. Duke isn't good at defending off-ball movement, so run pick-and-roll and run backdoor cuts all day. And Duke doesn't respond well to physical play because they often get a fairly friendly whistle, especially in Cameron. So if you go in there, whack the hell out of them on defense, discourage them, grab offensive boards, and move well away from the ball— you can absolutely, at minimum, cover the spread against Duke and make it a real game, even if you're a much worse team. Now, Duke's offense can also go nuclear, as it often does, so beating Duke isn't just as simple as that formula, but I do think that the formula for victory is that simple, and it certainly helps underdog teams feel like, holy shit, this is a winnable game, it's a great resume builder, we have nothing to lose, so let's just execute this plan and make them sweat. And once again, Clemson took 19 more shots than us. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about Dean Oliver's four factors that measure efficiency of play, the factors that help a team score the most points per possession possible. Uh, effective field goal percentage, turnover rate, offensive rebounding rate, and, of course, free throw rate. Now, we won the effective field goal percentage battle uh, because Duke is very good at defending uh, <laughs> two-pointers against smaller teams thanks to a certain long-armed defensive player of the year candidate we have. And Duke obviously won the free throw rate because Clemson only took one free throw all game, which certainly made me feel some kind of way seeing certain people on my feed uh, complaining that the refs were giving Clemson the game because... If they called more fouls on Clemson, which they did, and they gave us 12 more free throw attempts than they did Clemson, which they did, that's a very hard claim to make, uh, especially, you know, even if the one foul call on Joey Baker was bullshit, it's just an impossible thing to <laughs> justify to anybody, okay? Yeah, there were a few bad calls. There are a few bad calls every game. It was a physical game. They made that known going forward. It's not like they called a bunch of fouls on us and sent them to the line endlessly. They got one free throw attempt. So two of the four factors, we did well. It's almost certainly why we won. But the other two factors have been consistently really, really bad in ACC play, and they're why we're just not playing as well as we should. Last night, Jay Billis, to those of you who are not watching on mute, mentioned we're a usually very good team uh, in terms of taking care of the ball. And I assume what he meant was, over the course of the entire season, Duke's turnover rate is very good. Because it is. It's top 15 in the country. But our turnover rate during just ACC play is notably higher. In fact, 
if you go to barttorvik.com, which, by the way, is an awesome site for looking at analytics because it's free for you to access, you can change the dates to see our numbers over very specific time frames, and you can see what projected quad one and quad two records will be to estimate what our tournament resume and the tournament resumes of our opponents will look like. So if you go to Bart Torvik, and you measure our numbers starting from December 22nd, the date of our first ACC game, and forward, Duke actually ranks 170th in the country in turnover rate during that time. And you can see that before ACC play, we were third in the country in turnover rate. So it's completely fallen off a cliff once we got to ACC play, which gets me to the number 13. We are 13th in the ACC in turnover rate on offense. And we're 13th in the ACC in turnover rate on defense, meaning we have nearly been nearly the worst at turning over the ball. And we've been nearly the worst at generating turnovers. We've been appalling at generating turnovers. If you use Bart Torvik to measure our stats starting at the start of ACC play, we're 343rd in the country in generating turnovers. That's bottom 20 in the country and bottom four among high major teams. Though I guess in a silver lining here, it's worth noting that the worst high major in the country is UNC during that time frame. Uh, and they, I think, are the worst team at generating turnovers on defense in the entire country. So maybe something to look forward to in about a week and a half. But if we rank among the worst uh, in turnover rate on both sides of the ball in ACC play, I mean, look, the value of the turnover is that after a turnover, that team can't take a shot. So no points per possession every time there's a turnover. So right now, if we're turning it over a ton, we're taking fewer shots, and we're not taking the ball away to prevent them from taking more shots. As we've discussed when talking about our defensive rebounding woes, it is crucially important that you not let the other team take more shots than you. That should just be a given, right? Even as good a shooting team as we are, you just cannot win consistently if you let teams consistently get double-digit more field goal attempts than you do. It's a constant recipe for upsets. And that's why teams that are less talented than us will try to aggressively pressure on defense and take as much time as possible on offense because they know they're not likely to score more points per possession than Duke. So their best chances are to limit the number of possessions because the more possessions there are, the more likely it is that we'll regress to where we normally play. Uh, they want to attempt to prevent us from shooting. And they want to attempt to get more than one shot up as many times as they have the ball as possible. Now, this is exactly what Campbell did when they scared us in Cameron earlier this year. Very low possession game, lowest of our season so far. Crashed the glass, won the turnover battle, took 11 more shots than us. That's the recipe for an upset right there. Miami took the alternate approach. They pushed the tempo. They didn't even bother trying to win the glass. And they put all of their chips into the forcing turnover basket, into winning the turnover battle. And credit to them, that worked that night. Although I don't think it would win most nights, especially against uh, when we're playing teams like Clemson, uh, who have even greater talent limitations than Miami has. So Clemson did everything right. They lowered our usual tempo. They turned us over. They won the glass. And they got that staggering number of 19 more shots than us. Again, that's a constant recipe for an upset. It's also, for what it's worth, what you should look at when picking Cinderella teams in March, right? Find the teams that grind teams to a halt, that can win the field goal attempt battle through turnovers, crashing the glass or both. And if you're looking for teams that could get upset, find teams that don't play a lot of possessions, that do turn the ball over a lot, that struggle on crashing the glass. These sorts of four factors again. Uh, so the next magic number, and this is the scariest number of all, <laughs> is 81. 81 
as shocking as this is to say, is the field goal attempt difference between our opponents and ourselves in ACC play. I'm going to say that again. In eight games, teams have taken 81 more field goal attempts than we have. We are averaging a double-digit deficit in field goal attempts. And we've only won the field goal attempt battle once, unsurprisingly, the game against Wake Forest, which was not coincidentally easily our best showing in conference play by a country mile. And why is this? Well, we've only won the turnover battle in one of our eight games, and we've only won the offensive rebounding battle in two of our eight games. We've committed 24 total more turnovers than our opponents, and we've grabbed 38 total fewer offensive rebounds than our opponents. That's at least 62 of those 81 shot attempts right there. And we haven't won a battle in either turnovers or offensive rebounds in the last four games. That's a huge red flag going into the toughest stretch of games we're going to have this year. And frankly, it's fairly difficult to see any end in sight considering we're nearly at the halfway mark of conference play and we've not seen any improvement. In fact, in these categories, these things seem to be getting worse. And we can't really blame the absence of Trevor Keels for this because it's not like Trevor Keels is a one-man fix to those problems, right? He's got a good steal rate in conference play, but our turnover problems were happening while he was on the floor. Same for our rebounding problems. So this is not just a personnel issue over these last couple of games. It's been a trend moving in this direction. That said, here comes the hopeful part, okay? (laughs) We got the bad part out of the way. Let's get into the hopeful stuff. There are two things that are getting notably better, which is definitely a sign of life and should give us hope that we can find the necessary development to become the title team that we know Duke can be. And the first is our three-point shooting. It's third best in the conference. It's up to top 30 in the country. And people were definitely sweating the shooting coming into the season. And not to brag, but I was all in on A.J. Griffin being our best shooter coming into the year. I just loved what I'd seen from him in high school. But certainly people had some optimism about Trevor Keels. And frankly, he's been our least effective three-point shooter so far in conference play. It's smaller sample size for sure. And it's also definitely true that a lot of our younger shooters tend to hit major speed bumps shooting the ball early in conference play. Uh, And it's not just Trevor this year. Paolo's numbers have dipped in conference play. Jeremy's have dipped. And even AJ, who's still shooting 45% from three in conference play, let it be known, is shooting a lower percentage than he did before ACC play started. And definitely in the last game or two, we've seen him regressing just a little bit, uh, even though I still think he'll maintain the best shooting percentages on the team from distance. But the same sort of regression can't be said for our two veterans, Wendell Moore and Joey Baker, who both, to get to my next number, are shooting 50% from three. And they're combining for over five attempts per game, 42 total three-point attempts between them. So that's not an insubstantial sample. I know I've been critical of Moore's ACC play post-pause, and his assist rate to turnover rate is still worse in ACC play than it even was last season, but his catch-and-shoot three-point shooting has been absolutely superb. He's actually shooting better from three than he is from two in ACC play, which also matches the eye test, right? He has a tendency to drive into traffic on dribble drives. He struggles to complete those shots. He also tends to leave the ground before looking for a target for his pass, which isn't optimal. And he'll take too many off the bounce mid-rangers because, well, they were falling in pre-conference play, but they aren't ideal shots in the grand scheme of things. But his catch-and-shoot three has become one of the best weapons on the team, especially because he is a genuine threat to drive and kick. So teams don't really want to defend him out there. 
they also have two years of game tape of him shooting under 30% from three, so their skepticism has probably been warranted. But that's definitely going to change going forward. They'll have to respect Wendell's shooting going forward, which maybe will clear things up for his dribble drive to improve to where it was before the pause, knock on wood. And Joey Baker has been, in my opinion, pretty wonderful the last two games. He still makes a boneheaded foul or two, but that's because he, more than maybe anyone else on the team, is out there trying 100% of his minutes. He's fighting for box outs more than anyone else on the floor. He's staying active on defense, even if that means he occasionally leaps out of position. And he's expanded his offense to include a couple of very rudimentary dribble drive moves, one of which basically saved the game for us late against Clemson. If he's making threes, which he has been, I think Kay has to play him because he's a veteran. He's active on both ends. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be helpful. And he can provide offense in a pinch. Now, I would love to see Kay play him in lineups that don't also involve Bates, Jones, and Theo John, because I think in our defensive scheme, that lineup is an absolute nightmare on defense. But hey, we want Kay to play the bench more, and beggars can't be choosers. I like what Joey's been doing. The other great development, of course, is the play of Jeremy Roach, especially in the last four games. My next number is 1.87. This is his ratio of his assist rate to his turnover rate. Now, what does that mean? That means when we see assists by Duke, we're nearly twice as likely to see an assist committed by Jeremy as we are to see when we see a turnover committed by Duke, Jeremy commit that turnover. So in, in layman's terms, Jeremy's creating opportunities for teammates effectively, and when Duke turns it over, it's not especially likely to be his fault. He's actually third in the ACC overall in this particular ratio, and he's seventh in the ACC in assist rate overall. This is, of course, a huge development because up to this point, uh, Jeremy has not had a higher assist rate than turnover rate in his career at Duke. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. He's had some real struggles adjusting to the speed and, more to the point, the physicality of the game. And it's obviously very hard as a young point guard on a team full of pro prospects to figure out the dynamics, right? When do you pass? To whom do you pass? When do you drive and shoot? When everyone's an underclassman, you have to learn where your players will be, how they cut, where you need to place the ball on your passes, and so on. I still think Jeremy's handle's a little loose. You see him stumble with it under ball pressure from time to time, though I think he's done a nice job avoiding those spots in recent games. He's done a better job of not forcing the issue and driving into traffic. His defense is always going to be a bit of a problem against bigger players. We've certainly seen opposing teams target Jeremy on switches. And obviously his shooting has taken a dip in ACC play as well. But frankly, I don't care about much of that. Because with Moore struggling to create right now, and with Keels on the bench because he's hurt, guys like Jeremy and to uh, maybe a slightly lesser extent Paolo need to step up to create for others, and they have. In particular, Jeremy's ball protection has been huge. Paolo's turnover rate is always going to be a little higher because he's our only player who can reliably score in isolation right now. But Jeremy's doing a splendid job of creating his looks without getting reckless. He's got a 9.33 to 1 assist to turnover ratio in the last four games. If he can maintain even half of that going forward, it would be huge for Duke's offense to prevent it from stagnating into iso ball, and it would obviously make us feel a lot better about having a championship caliber offense, both in half court and transition. Okay, it's been a long episode, so let me end with this. Our three-game road stretch coming up. At Louisville this Saturday, uh, at Notre Dame the following Monday, and of course UNC at UNC the following weekend. These will be very, very tough games. Louisville will have just fired their coach, so they're going to be incredibly amped to start fresh and play loose in hopes of preserving anything resembling postseason hopes. 
Notre Dame at South Bend is always insane. Uh, Mike Bray's got a winning record there against Coach K. And UNC, of course, has a guy inside who absolutely smashes the glass. And it's a rivalry game, so even though UNC is on paper a great matchup for us this year, since they don't ever force turnovers, they lack athleticism, and their defense as a whole has been tremendously weak, you can throw all of that out and know it'll be close regardless. Uh, our final number today is 32. Ken Palm has our probability of winning all three of our next three games at 32%. That means we are certainly more likely to lose one than we are to win all three. Now, winning all three would be massive for our resume because the Notre Dame and UNC game are two of our three remaining quad one games. And the last one, Clemson at Little John, is obviously far from a lock based on both last night's performance and our generally bad history at Little John. So if we want to get anywhere close to a one seed or even get a good feeling about getting a two seed in the East, we need to win all three of these games, especially the quad one games. Ken Palm also has our chances of winning just the Notre Dame and UNC games at about 40%, right? So our chances of going in to Notre Dame and to UNC and winning them both at about 40%. Honestly, that's not that terrible. And considering the bizarre spot we're going to be in at Louisville, I would gladly take a 2-1 and one record over this stretch. Because as much as uh, everyone likes to say, win out and we're in, win and we're in, we need to be realistic. This team, even though we'll be favored for every game going forward, we will lose at least one or two more games. Uh, even leaving the next three games out, Ken Palm has our probability of winning the next nine regular season games, the last nine regular season games in a row after that, at a little less than 12% even though that will be the easiest stretch of our year. So, uh, well, of our conference play year, I guess I should say. It's not easier than the South Carolina State and all that. Uh, so we need to stop thinking about our season in terms of when and we're in, because uh, then anything less than that will be viewed as a failure. Uh, I think if we lose two more games this season, and for what it's worth, Ken Palm expects us to lose three if we can lose two more games this season, avoid any truly bad losses, and gather at least two more quad wins, quad one wins on the road, we can have a realistic shot at a two seed, hopefully, in the East. And if some of the favorites, some of the top ten teams in the country stumble down the stretch, which can certainly happen, then who knows? And it, while I'm trying to use rational thinking here because it's safer and easier to emotionally swallow losses when you realize they're a statistical near inevitability, then again, maybe last season of K-Magic will defy the odds and make something incredible happen. The talent's there. We've got seasoned vets. We've got future first-rounders. And we've got a GOAT coach on the sidelines who maybe still has some tricks up his sleeve. So maybe we'll shake off these red flag issues and explode down the stretch. Anything's possible. Because Duke better. I hope this was enjoyable. Sorry for the length. Shed a lot of my mind after that loss. If you dug the episode, please subscribe. If you have questions or things you want me to talk about, please tweet me at Duke Better. And if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, or even if you're not, if you wouldn't mind, go to Apple Podcasts. Please leave a positive review. It'll help this show pop up sooner for people searching for Duke Basketball Podcasts. Positive vibes for Saturday. Let's hope the problems in Louisville run deeper than the coach and we can handle business the way we all expect us to. I'm Russell. Until next time, go to Health Carolina. What are we talking about here?